0: Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Mixed feelings as always when we gather like this, when uh, I'm preaching through a camera and you are on the other side. Uh, On the one hand, we are so grateful to God that we can do this that we have the resources as a church to do it, that the technology is available. On the other hand, uh, we would desperately prefer to be with you uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, it is what it is, and um, as I said, we are just grateful that, that God's word can continue to go out. Won't you join me in a word of prayer? I'm going to join Rafa and Dudu, who have prayed before me, and just ask for the Lord's help uh, as we meet like this. Father, we um, thank you that you are gracious. We thank you that you speak words of love to us, words of kindness. Uh, that you invite us to yourself. That you embrace us, uh, Father. We pray now that um, you would be with us in this extraordinary way. Um, we thank you, Lord, that you can breathe life into these dead bones. Uh, we. We ask that you would do that this morning. That you would be so present and so um, gracious and so powerful. Uh, that you would leave us changed. That you would transform us through through this time together. And we pray these things as always, in the name of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are a people under pressure. That's uh, true of us as a local church because it's true of us as a community and it's true of us as a country. Let me uh, tell you a bunch of things you already know. In South Africa, we have the highest HIV prevalence rates, amongst the highest HIV prevalence rates in the world. 20% of our adult population are living with the virus. We have amongst the highest homicide rates in the world. For every 100,000 South Africans, 34 are murdered every year. We rank 114 out of 189 countries on the Human Development Index. Venezuela, Libya, and Mongolia rank higher than we do. At the start of 2020, ESCOM had a debt of close to half a trillion rand. And most of that debt can be accounted for Uh, by theft or mismanagement. Half a trillion rand. Last year we had 46 days of load shedding and it seems like this year we are likely to surpass that number. Earlier this year we reached our highest unemployment rate on record. 32.5% or 7.2 million people out of work. All that, and I haven't even mentioned COVID but I'm not here as a prophet of doom I'm not a naysayer I'm not an Afro pessimist I love this country I know that we have so much to rejoice in so much to be thankful for there are so many countless mercies that come to us every day simply because we live in this wonderful land of ours my point is simply this and this is my only point We are under pressure. We are a people under pressure. And what we don't see when I speak like this are the tears behind the statistics. The statistics don't show us the children watching their parents rip strips off each other, insult each other, scream at each other, actively hate each other because of the financial strain they are under. The stats can't show us the darkness of living with the mental health implications of the constant stress we are under, that debilitating pain and fear. The stats can't take us to the lonely places, the graveside, the hospital room, the traffic intersection with the placard that says ironing, but really means anything, anything, because I'm that desperate. We are a people under pressure. How have you been handling the pressure? With so much change and so much that is uncertain, how have you been coping? Where have you been going for refuge, for solace, for comfort? Obviously, I talk to other pastors. Um, It's one of the occupational hazards that I have. I talk to other pastors about the impact of all of this pressure on churches, and particularly the pressure relating to COVID. And generally, they say two things are happening either currently happening or in the process of happening. Firstly, those people who are Christian in name only, nominal Christians, are likely to fall away. Uh, those people who come to church because it's an opportunity to wear their Sunday best, perhaps they come for the social benefits, the community benefits, perhaps they come for traditional reasons. You know, my uncle was a missionary, my parents were, were active churchgoers, uh, perhaps they come for religious reasons. This is how you are, declare yourself to be a good person. This is how you prove your worthiness. All of those people are going to stop coming. Because they are going to discover that they can get those benefits elsewhere. Or that those benefits, you can live without them. And quite frankly, it's nice to have a Sunday morning off. Those people are not coming back. The process by which South Africa loses its nominal Christian identity has just been accelerated by COVID. The second thing that we see happening, the second trend, is that genuine Christians, even mature Christians, will concede ground. They are going to slide back, retreat. They will drift. That's what's happening. Those two things, at least those two things. Because we are a people under pressure. We thank God. His word speaks to people under pressure. Hebrews is a letter written to people under pressure. The temptations weren't exactly the same. The circumstances weren't identical. But the pressure to drift was the very same pressure. In fact, I remember how thankful Martin and I were When by the providence of God, we were preaching through this letter in May and June last year, just as the COVID crisis was beginning to bite. We were in the book of Hebrews and we were so thankful because this this letter answers people who are under pressure. And the answer it consistently gives is the right answer. Jesus. The letter to the Hebrews is an encounter with Jesus. That's true of all of scripture, but especially true of the letter to the Hebrews. So a little refresher. What have we seen in the letter so far? I'm asking you to shake off the cobwebs and uh, reflect back on, on, on last year. If you can recall back to last year, May, June time, we were deep uh, in Hebrews. What did we see? We saw that Jesus is better than the prophets. He is better than signs and wonders because he is the fullest revelation of God. Jesus is better than angels because he's a better mediator. Jesus is better than Moses because he's a son and not a servant. He is better than Joshua because he offers a true rest, a lasting rest. When we as a people under pressure ask, how are we going to keep going? How can we possibly keep going? The answer in a three-verse summary that Dudu read to us, a three-verse summary, summary of the whole letter the answer is this you will persevere because Jesus is a better priest now at this point immediately we have to pause because we are Protestants uh, because we are modern urban people it may not be immediately obvious to us what a priest is or what relevance a priest has in our lives the job of a priest in ancient religions or in the Catholic Church today is to mediate the relationship between God and the people, the people and God. So to get to God, you have to go through the priest. That's how it worked. That's how it works. In ancient Israel, as the writer to the Hebrews will tell us in some detail, there was a high priest. The high priest had more access to God than anyone else. The high priest could go into the most holy place in the temple, the holy of holies, but only the high priest, only the high priest, and only once a year, and only after he had performed a number of elaborate cleansing ceremonies and rituals and sacrifices to atone for his sin. This passage is telling us that we are going to keep going. We are going to persevere because we have Jesus, not just as priest or high priest. We have him as the great high priest. We have him as the supreme high priest, the high priest of high priests, the ultimate high priest. That's the, text of the, that, that's the language of the text. We, we miss it in the translation, but that's what it's saying. We have the great high priest of high priests. Now what does that mean? What is it that makes Jesus a better priest? And why does that matter to us? Four things I want to pull out from our verses. Four things. Jesus is better. Because of his suffering service, because of his sonship, because of his sympathy, and because of his sinlessness. His suffering service, his sonship, his sympathy, and his sinlessness. Jesus is a better priest because of his suffering service. Verse 14 says that Jesus passed through the heavens. He passed through the heavens. That means that he is exalted to the highest place, to the right hand of his Father. But only, in the words of Hebrews 1, only after he has made purification for sins. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, says it like this. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, You see what happened in the first half of that passage? Jesus humbled himself all the way to the cross. Now we talk about that all the time. That rolls off our lips all the time. But I don't think we have the vaguest idea of what that means. Here's how uh, one historian tries to help us, give us some insight into what it means To be crucified, no death was more excruciating, more contemptible, in other words, more worthy of being despised. No death was more excruciating, more contemptible than crucifixion. To be hung naked, long in agony, swelling with ugly welts on shoulders and chest, helpless to beat away the clamorous birds that wanted to peck your eyes out. Helpless to beat them away. Such a fate, Roman intellectuals agreed, was the worst imaginable. That's how low Jesus went. He went to the very bottom. And because he went to the lowest place for us, God exalted him to the highest place. And he passed through the heavens to the right hand of his father, to the throne rooms of God. What does that mean for you? This is how F.F. Bruce puts it. Jesus endured every trial that we are likely to undergo, but remained steadfast throughout, and has now passed through the heavens to the very throne of God. In him, then, his people, you and me, have a powerful incentive to perseverance in faith and obedience. In him, you and I have a powerful incentive to perseverance, to keep going in faith and obedience. In 1939, a Polish army captain by the name of Witold Pilecki, great name, Witold Pilecki, he walked out onto a street in Warsaw, a very public street in the center of the city. He walked out onto a street where he knew the Germans were rounding up locals. And he knew what they were doing. He knew what their intent was. They were rounding up locals, putting them on cattle trucks, sending them to Auschwitz. He volunteered for Auschwitz. He chose Auschwitz. Because he wanted to collect information for the Polish resistance. He chose Auschwitz. He managed to survive three years in that concentration camp. And then he actually escaped Now imagine this, three years later, after his escape, 1943. Imagine you are a young private in the Polish resistance army. And you are serving under Pilecki. Pilecki is your commanding officer. Imagine what you could endure knowing what your leader had done. Knowing how he had served his people, your people. Knowing how he survived it all. And that he was now with you, shoulder to shoulder, leading you on. That is just a glimpse of what it is to persevere in faith and obedience under the command of Christ. Who is with us, shoulder to shoulder, leading us on. We can draw such courage from his courage. We can draw such hope from his victory. Jesus' loving sacrifice, his victory through suffering service is the fuel we need and is the fuel that's available to us as we seek to persevere in faith and obedience. He is the fuel we need to keep going. And he's more than we need. Secondly, Jesus is a better priest because he is the son of God. You remember the function of a priest is to mediate the relationship between God and man, man and God. Think about mediation. Just ordinary mediation in the world around us. I don't know, I don't know what comes to mind for you. What comes to mind for me is the situation in the Middle East, the Palestinian-Israeli-Jewish conflict. Uh, they've had a number of mediators over the years, most of them U.S. presidents or secretary generals of the U.N., If you wanted a perfect mediator between the Palestinians and the Israelis, you would need someone who would represent both sides fairly. So you might pick a neutral. You might pick someone who's neutral. But you could actually do better than that. In theory. In theory, you could get someone who intimately understands what it means to be a Palestinian. And someone who also intimately understands what it means to be an Israeli. A neutral just doesn't have that sort of understanding. So what profile could you give your mediator, ideally, if you could give them any profile? What if you could find someone who had an Israeli father and a Palestinian mother and who was absolutely dedicated to peace who was willing to give her life for peace imagine I don't think we could come up with a better mediator again this is just a hint of what we have in Jesus he represents God to man as God and he represents man to God as man He is the foundation for peace in himself, in his very person. Because he is both sides of the conflict in himself, in his very person. And this is why the writer to the Hebrews piles up language to communicate the greatness of the high priest that we have. There is no one who can do what he did because there is no one who is who he is. He is the high priest. Bold. Underlined, in a class all by himself. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. What does that mean for you? No one can represent you to the Father like the Son. He approaches the Father as the Son. And he approaches God as a man. He knows you because he knows what it is to be you. And he knows God because he knows what it is to be God. You can trust him with your very life. You can persevere. You can keep going in the confidence that the son pleads your case to the father. The son, not a servant, the son. The son himself pleads your case to the father. not just some neutral, the Son. There's more. Thirdly, Jesus is a better priest because of his sympathy. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. That word sympathy is often used uh, Well, it has connotations of, it's often used to describe family affection. So it's what a parent would feel for their child. Now, those of you who are parents or caregivers, you know what it is to suffer with your children. It's not your suffering. But somehow it is your suffering. And in fact, it's even worse because you want nothing more than to just take the suffering off your child and place it on yourself. Again, that is just a glimpse the tiniest insight into what Jesus feels for you in your weakness. When he looks at you and he sees your vulnerability to the brokenness of this world, and he sees the devil's schemes playing out in and around you, and he sees the ordinary frailties of being a mortal human being sickness, death he doesn't just see, he feels. He feels your pain, and this is not from an ivory tower. He has been here. He knows what it is to suffer as a human being. What does that mean for you? Listen to Dwayne Auckland describe it. He says this. Consider your own life. When the relationship goes sour, when the feelings come flooding in, When it feels like life is passing us by. When it seems that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers. When we can't sort out our emotions. When the long time friend lets us down. When a family member betrays us. When we feel deeply misunderstood when we are laughed at by someone impressive. In short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel. There, right there. We have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and he sits close to us, embraces us, with us, solidarity. Our tendency is to feel intuitively that the more difficult life gets, the more alone we are. As we sink further into pain, we sink further into felt isolation. The Bible corrects us. Our pain never outstrips what he himself shares in. We are never alone. That sorrow, that fear, Feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. This is the heart of God for you in Jesus Christ. You can persevere, you can keep going because you know the more you struggle, the closer he comes. You have a friend so close that your pain becomes his pain. Finally, Jesus is a better priest because he is sinless. We said that the work of the priest is mediation. And to be a mediator, you need to represent both sides fairly. Here's the problem. You cannot truly represent both sides as a sinner. This was What stood in Moses' way when he wanted to mediate on behalf of Israel. You cannot truly represent God as a sinner. Because sin is the exact opposite of truly representing God. Sin is a declaration of allegiance to myself. Sin says, I am for me and I am against God. How then can a sinner represent God when to be a sinner is to do the exact opposite? It's like asking a poacher to represent rhinos or asking Sia Kulisi to play for the English. It's impossible. It's not going to happen. And so we thank God that we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. Jesus is like us in everything. What's true of us is true of him, except the one thing that shouldn't be true of us. Our sin. Jesus is the one true human being. Because I I think we lose sight of this. Our sin makes us subhuman. Our sin is dehumanizing. Because we were made to be in perfect fellowship with our creator and with our fellow creatures. Sin makes us something less than that. We reject our Creator. And that is the essence of sin. That is subhuman. While Jesus suffered every kind of temptation, he never gave into that. He never gave himself over to sin. That he knows every temptation of our human weakness makes him the perfect representative of man. That he was without sin makes him the perfect representative of. To God. What does that mean for you? It means you have full access to God. Full unfettered access to God. Your sin, however sordid it is, however long it's been going on, your sin cannot separate you from God. Because your access to God doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus. And even though he was tempted the very same way that you are, he remained utterly pure, incorruptible, perfectly devoted to his Father throughout. And so you have unfettered access to God. You may be ashamed, disgusted, even devastated by your sin. But the truth is it cannot keep you from God. Let me say it again. It cannot keep you from God because your access to God does not depend on you. Your access to God does not depend on you. It depends on your great high priest. And he was what you will never be, at least this side of heaven. He was perfectly sinless, perfectly pure, perfectly devoted to his father. That means you can persevere. It means you can keep going. That's our great high priest. He's the great high priest, the ultimate high priest, the supreme high priest, because of his suffering service, his sonship, his sympathy, and his sinlessness. In Jesus, we have the great high priest. Our passage calls on us to respond to him in at least two ways. I'm just going to flip them and uh, speak about them in reverse order. Because we have such a great high priest, verse 16... We must draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. How can you possibly approach the throne of God with confidence? The word means even means boldness. How can you approach the throne of God with boldness? How? Well, let me state the obvious and say that the confidence in verse 16 is not self-confidence. It is not self-confidence. There is nothing in you to commend you to God. There is nothing in me to commend me to God. As the Anglican prayer book says, there is no health in us. I don't know if you knew this, but the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, used to actually, they actually used to tie a rope to the foot of the high priest when he went into the holies of holies. That one, one time a year, they would tie a, a rope to his foot. Why? Well, in case he'd made some technical mistake in atoning for his sin. And if he had, he would drop dead. And they couldn't go in and rescue the body. And so they'd have to drag him out. You remember Uzzah? Perhaps you do. Uh, He was the priest responsible for returning the ark to Jerusalem. He loaded it up on a cart. Uh, One of the oxen slipped So he reached out his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant, touched it, and in that moment, dropped dead. What's the point? The point is this. We do not waltz into the presence of God Almighty. The Most High, the Most Holy. We do not waltz into his presence, and yet we can enter his presence boldly. We can speak openly to him. That's what the word means. It it has connotations of, of transparency, of laying it all bare. Of, 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 a, of a kind of spiritual nakedness. We can go in and lay it all bare before the God of all holiness. How? Because of Jesus. In fact, because of Jesus, we are commanded to enter with confidence. Why? To receive mercy and to find grace, to receive the mercy and find the grace that we so desperately need in our hour of need. And that brings us back to where we started. We are a people under pressure. This is our hour of need. Maybe, maybe one of many. But it certainly is one. This is our hour of need, our time of trial. We are under we are under constant temptation. And the way we will persevere is not fast It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not izoluwele omfulo uqwele. It's not willpower. Those things are dead ends. They are about about self-confidence. Rather, we go to the throne of grace. And we go openly because of Jesus. Because he is worthy of all confidence. We don't deserve anything better than what we get in life. In fact, we deserve worse. We deserve judgment. But we go to the judgment seat and we receive mercy. We go to the judge and we find grace. And we're not just invited to go, we are commanded to go. Such is the love of God, the bottomless love of God for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a question. When last did you go? Why not go this morning? Why not draw near this morning? Why take another step carrying this burden with this weight on your back? Your great high priest wants to lift it off you. Go to the throne of grace. Meet him there this morning. He will take it from you. That's our first response to the great high priest. We approach the throne of grace With confidence, with openness. Our first response. Our second response is in verse 14. Let us hold fast to our confession. Rafa prayed along these lines this morning. Let us hold fast to our confession. What is our confession? The letter to the Hebrews and the rest of the New Testament is very plain about this. Our confession is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him we proclaim. Jesus is our confession. A confession has to do with truth. And we are called to cling to this truth. But because it's a confession by its very nature, we are to give it away. Put it on display. Put the truth on display. So we're supposed to cling to it and we're supposed to put it on display. There's a bit of a paradox here. We're supposed to hold on to it, but we must also give it away. In fact, the way to hold on to it is to give it away. Jesus is Lord our confession. The more you live that confession in word and deed, the more it will become real in your own life, in your own heart. In that sense, the public confession reinforces the private reality that we cling to. But the public confession cannot exist without the private reality. We just need to be careful about this. The public confession cannot exist without the private reality. It can exist, but only as a fiction, only as a pretense. And that's a very dangerous place to be. It cannot re- exist in reality. What do I mean by this? I mean you cannot cling to your confession without approaching the throne of grace. You cannot separate your public life as a believer from your private life as a believer. You cannot separate what, what's coming off your lips from what's going on in your heart. You cannot publicly confess Christ as Lord without privately kneeling before him as Savior. You can do it, but you can only do it as a fraud. And I would encourage you to go and read in the Gospels and discover there what the Lord Jesus thinks of that kind of hypocrisy. Thankfully, the reverse is also true. If you do kneel before the Lord Jesus as Savior, if you do approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in your hour of need, which is every hour, then you will cling to your confession. Then your public confession will simply be the outward expression of an inner reality. And that is what we are called to. That is our response to our great high priest. We are a people under pressure, but we have a great high priest. Let's confess him as we approach the throne of grace. He will help us to keep going. Pray with me now. Father, we thank you for Jesus, our great high priest, our supreme high priest, The ultimate high priest. Help us to see him as he truly is. The suffering servant. The son of God. The one who sympathizes with sinners. Yet was without sin himself. Father by your spirit draw us through Jesus to your throne of grace. We need you. This is our hour of need. And we come to you to receive mercy and to find grace. Help us to cling to our confession. Help us in every aspect of life, especially when we are tempted to live out Jesus is Lord as people who daily receive Jesus as Savior. Father, by your Spirit, help us to keep going. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.